All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I have got FOMO, fear of missing out on information, really bad. Like, you know, that one article that everyone has read, except somehow you missed it. Hey, did you guys read that thing in The New Yorker last month about how golf is an analogy for marriage? I did. Did you read The New York Times? Yes. The New York Observer? Yes. Washington Post? Yes. Wall Street Journal? Of course I read it. Did you read that steampunk article in Boing Boing? I did not like the end of it. Did you read that skywriting? They spoofed that feeling on Portlandia. But to me, that feeling is so real. And one of the ways that I cope with it is by subscribing to a lot of newsletters. You know, smart people who kind of round up all the good stuff that's out there, and deliver it to you in your inbox. We've actually made a list of the best newsletters out there. Some of my favorites are Redef by Jason Hirshhorn, Rusty Foster's Tabs, He's So Angry, and Friedman's Weekly Roundup, and the one written by the woman you'll meet today. Hey, Manoush, sorry, I was struggling with the volume controls for a second. It's Note to Self the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. On this episode, a cheat sheet to the year's top stories that went viral and had the most influence online from the author of one of my favorite daily newsletters. So my name is Caitlin Dewey, and I am the digital culture critic at The Washington Post. But Caitlin, you know, I read your stuff, but I also know you for a different reason, which is because you come and visit me in my inbox every day. (laughs) And I very much appreciate you still reading every day. (laughs) Caitlin's newsletter is called Links I Would G-Chat You If We Were Friends. And it's exactly like what it sounds like. And she's been writing it for about two years now. It consists of a basically a roundup every day of links about internet culture and news that I find either, you know, really thought-provoking or just funny or worth reading for one reason or another. She says she doesn't use any, like, fancy digital tools to find the stories that she cites. She just reads a ton all day long, and she applies this specific criteria. What is an internet story that appears to be about the internet but is actually about something bigger? That's basically the rubric I'm thinking of. And why do you think people subscribe to the newsletter? I mean, I'll tell you why I do, but... Please tell me. I have no idea. I don't know. I have, like, (laughs) really? You have no idea? Seriously? (laughs) No, you know what? I know if I were one of my own readers, I would subscribe because... The internet is so cacophonous and it is so easy to miss things in the flood that speeds past us every day. And I think it's really nice to have someone sort of act as a gatekeeper for that and tell you, you know, these are the things that happened on the internet that matter today, you know, kind of put everything in context. So that's my assumption. But you tell me what you think. Well, you know, I don't get to spend the whole day on the internet, but maybe if I did, these are the things I would want to know. 
you're like the cool kid that I want to hang with when I can't be the cool kid myself because maybe I'm not anymore the cool kid. (laughs) Well, I've never been the cool kid, so I very much appreciate that. If you feel like me, like maybe you just can't quite keep up with everything going on, but you really want to, well, that is why we asked Caitlin to go back through the approximately 50,000 stories that she linked to over the past year and drill down to her top five. The five stories that she feels best represent what happened online and affected our lives, changed what was going on digitally for humans. Not an easy task. No. Not an easy task, but a fun one. So let's go. Starting with number five. This was her pimp that I didn't even know that we had went down there with. The very complicated, scary, but entertaining story of Asia Zola, heard there on TMZ. A woman claiming to be a sex worker whose saga played out on Twitter and trended longer than the attacks on Paris. As a form or as a genre, this was totally revolutionary. I mean, how many big-name novelists have attempted to write the great, you know, serialized Twitter novel or short story? I mean, it's been attempted so many times. And by far, this, you know, 21-year-old girl from Detroit has been most successful in really inventing that genre and capturing the voice of the platform and using it to tell this totally unique story. I mean, the whole thing is fascinating. I got an email from Time. I got an email from Rolling Stone. They actually wanted to do a, a cover on it. It starts, she's working as a waitress at a Hooters restaurant, and a young woman comes in and invites her to take a trip with her to Florida to uh, dance in some clubs. And at first, you know, things go according to plan. Yeah, they're making some money, from what I understand. They're having a good time, but then things get out of control. Like, one guy is a pimp. He's pressuring them into sex work. Another man turns out to be a boyfriend who then threatens to kill himself. It's like there's so many characters, so many different names that people go by. It's like Tolstoy or something. I actually think the comparison to Russian literature is apt because there are many characters. It is very confusing. There is a lot of drama. So was it real? So large portions of the story are real. There was no murder, thank goodness. (laughs) And uh, there was also no suicide attempt. But some of the more disturbing details of the story, women potentially being trafficked or like pressured into this type of work that they didn't want to do, I mean... Those details were very real. And in fact, the pimp figure is currently in jail in Reno facing charges ranging from like pandering to trafficking to sexual assault. Um, So it actually ends up being quite a serious story that in this very typical Internet fashion was turned into a meme. There's a lot of rumors that she'll be coming out with a movie and a book. In addition to that, a lot of the phrases people thought were so funny, the quotable the hoism phrase and the, you know, P is worth thousands. People literally love that. So we're trademarking that and we're, you know, doing little T-shirts and beanies and buttons and things like that right now. Okay. Next up, something far more straightforward coming in at number four of the Internet's top stories in 2015. 
Yeah, okay, this one's super easy, and it is the dress. Ugh! You remember the dress? I remember the dress. <laughs> this is very obviously white and gold. I, it's blue, it's obviously blue. I, I cannot see blue anywhere in that dress. I don't even know how you could see blue. It's, it's all coming at me fast, It's too, a trust fact me. that you're it's, smarter if you see it in black and blue. If there was anyone who hasn't heard of it, I actually feel quite bad for spoiling their blissful ignorance. But the dress was basically this photo that was posted to Tumblr. In certain lights, it appears to be blue and black. You are seeing white and gold. Where are you looking at? I, I oh, it just changed to white and gold! No, no, you're kidding. BuzzFeed turned it into a post, which went on to get 38 million page views. Jeez. Millions have weighed in on what color they see the dress, with around 70% seeing white and gold and the rest seeing black and blue. I mean, contemplate contemplate how many people that is. BuzzFeed then put two editorial teams, teams, teams of reporters, dress beats. The fascinating thing about this story to me is that you think about just the act of something going viral, it means you're sharing it with a social community mm. and that act means that you're trying to say something about yourself right like every right. act of sharing is actually about you yes. um and the dress was like perfect it was so universal it was so easy and it was so easy to be like haughty and superior about it <laughs> <laughs> totally what color did you see it actually i initially saw it as white and gold and i was really angry at people who said otherwise what it was totally blue and black Just saying. Okay, coming in, number three. Okay, well, this is a a little unusual in that it is not a story like a phenomenon, but it's actually a specific piece of journalism that I think everyone should read this year. What is code? And that is the Business Week cover story that Paul Ford wrote about code and programming. Before we can answer that, we should answer an easier question. What's a computer? A computer is a clock with benefits. They all work the same, doing second grade math one step at a time. Tick, take a signal and put it in box one. Tick, take another signal, put it in box two. Give me the, like, super Cliff Notes version. Have you basically... What it is is a total demystification of programming, and then that kind of leads its way into a demystification of programming and Silicon Valley and technology culture. We're using computers constantly, but we have not the slightest conception how they work. Completely. I mean, there's a portion of the story where he talks about the computer processes that are necessary to put an A on the screen when you click the A key, and it is... Um, amazing. Like, it's kind of one of those, like, come-to-Jesus moments where you're like, wow, I can't believe that humans came up with this. You, using a pen and paper, can do anything a computer could do. You just can't do those things billions of times per second. He's obviously a, a wonderful, wonderful writer, probably the best writer on technology and technology culture. So the way that he presents it is very lucid and and clear and fascinating, even though it runs to 38,000 words, which is basically a book. There's so few people bridging those worlds, which maybe helps explain why we tend to know so little about the technical processes behind code and things of that nature. But yeah, he absolutely bridges them. Okay, props to Paul Ford, number three. 
So far, Zola, the mystifying dress, and Paul Ford. What will Caitlin Dewey crown as her top two internet stories of the year? That's what's coming up. Before we go back to Caitlin, a conversation has been happening all over the internets about our episode a few weeks back on walking and texting. You know, flexing. And it is dangerous out there, folks. Derek Phillips, you write that you and your colleagues at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons refer to people who walk and text as digital dead walkers. Ah! You guys, they even made a PSA about it. It is so good. Listen to this older woman what she says to this guy who she bumps into, who is Wexting. For you. Dude! Engage! A public service safety message. Derek, here in New York, listener Kit Menick shows no mercy to those walkers and texters. Instead of just getting out of the way for them, as I would for some other encumbered person, you know, uh, with a cane or a lot of luggage, I just walked straight at them. Okay, so watch out for Kit, everyone. Especially you, Gail. Gail Tuzman, also from New York. You learned your wexting lesson the hard way. When I stepped out, I lost my balance and fell against the armrest in the seat opposite me, and I fractured four ribs. Gail, I kind of think maybe you should go to our Facebook page and introduce yourself to our orthopedist friend, Derek. Okay, finally... Maisie Wilhelm, she has one rule for all of us to avoid the wrath of Kit or to avoid Gail's injuries. I'm calling it your note to self, Maisie. My rule is that I only allow myself one earbud in so that I can be less of an asshole when I'm walking on the street. Point taken. Podcast and walk responsibly, everybody. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and you're listening to our top five stories that went viral and had the most influence on the internet in 2015. Doing this with the author of one of my favorite daily newsletters, Washington Post journalist Caitlin Dewey. We're getting close. Only two more to go. What's number two? Okay. Number two is the Great Reddit Revolt of July 2015. Mm, good one. Just in case you're a listener who isn't so familiar with Reddit, here's a good explanation from CGP Gray's YouTube channel. What is Reddit? For much of the internet, Reddit is the gateway to everything interesting going on in the world. Checking Reddit.com is like reading the daily newspaper, except that Reddit is timely, interactive, personalized, participatory, horrifyingly absorbing at times, and basically good. The way it works is that Well, not all good. There's racist stuff, how to get away with rape, harassment. In some cases, it went past bad behavior to things that we would consider to be really, like, antisocial or even criminal. There were several forums dedicated to shaming people who were overweight and, like, publishing their personal details so people could harass them. I mean, there was some really bad stuff going on. So Reddit had always been really hands-off about this, but finally they were like, you know what, guys— it is not okay for you to use our site to run your harassment campaigns. Simultaneously, there was some tension between 
moderators who are unpaid people. They're just users of the site who actually administer the forums. And there was tension between them and the paid Reddit staff, which is much smaller. So this all came to a head in the beginning of July when Reddit fired a very popular administrator. So these moderators who, at the end of the day, are really the ones who control Reddit, basically shut down all of their communities, which created a blackout across Reddit. Revolt at Reddit. Users are leaving the site in droves. Reddit shutting down five discussion forums because they don't meet new anti-harassment rules. Angry Redditors Which is a big deal because Reddit is a major source of news and information for millions of people. So this community basically managed to shut down the quote-unquote front page of the internet for almost a week-long period. And the message being like, little company, you are nothing without us, so don't try to dictate the terms when actually we run this place. Exactly. There's basically, I think, two things going on here that are super important. They're way bigger than Reddit. They say much more about the greater culture. The one is this idea of digital labor and, you know, sort of like who is the product and who benefits from Mm -hmm. our internet use. You know, the hours and hours that we all sink into these websites, who benefits from that? And those are big questions. The other thing that the Reddit revolt really exemplified was the amazing tension that seems to have exploded between the sort of faction of internet users who really strongly believe that the internet should be a place for absolute free speech, no matter what kind of harms that entails. And this sort of more moderate contingent that believes there needs to be reasonable limits on communities online. And that is just a debate that is playing out in absolutely every corner of the internet. But I think those are really important questions, whether or not you actually care about Reddit itself. If you do care about Reddit itself, just FYI, the site is largely back to normal and is thriving once again. And now we present to you Note to Self and Caitlin Dewey's top internet story of the year. Okay, so I hope I'm doing right by the internet naming this the number one story of the year. But I think the Ashley Madison hack was absolutely the number one watershed moment for the internet this year. A website that encourages people to cheat on their partners is reeling from a huge data breach. Ashley Madison's slogan is, quote, life is short, have an affair. I mean, this is the first major hack that could potentially destroy people's lives, relationships, jobs. You know, hacks to this point have always been about financial information, which can definitely be damaging. But it's not the same thing as ending a marriage of 15 years or something. This second huge data dump, twice the size of the first one, and that first leak already exposing some deep, dark secrets. I have to say, the reason why I felt it was such a watershed, in part, was it unveiled the fact that most of the ladies who were up for a little you know, action were actually bots or fake profiles. Like, that sort of seemed... <laughs> I sort of was like... Of course. In fact, John Oliver on Last Week Tonight found other evidence that indicated the site wasn't quite as uh, successful as it claimed it was with its core service. The fact that I 
AshleyMadison.com has been hacked is a crime. But it is hard to feel too bad for a company that has willingly run this ad. I'm looking for someone other than my wife. Other than my wife. Ashley Madison's it was so shocking, right? And there was story after story, and everyone would collectively gasp, like, oh my god, I can't believe Ashley Madison was engaging in these extremely sketchy practices. But you're right, when you think about it, it's like, well, I mean, duh, there weren't tons of women <laughs> signing up to get, like, bizarre messages from married guys. Also, I must say, it seems like the theme there is essentially, go to Ashley Madison and you will meet nothing but other dudes. I mean, as with so many of these stories, I think that's why they're all so fascinating to me. Not only do they signify larger societal things that are happening, but it's so easy to be on both sides. You really can see all these stories as gold or blue, or free speech, (laughs) or hate speech, or free to live how you want to live with Ashley Madison, or actually not cool behavior when you've committed to a relationship. There's so much gray area with all these stories that you've brought to us, and with so many tech and digital issues, that's what keeps it so interesting. Interesting and sometimes very frightening. Caitlin Dewey, I love your newsletter, and I love reading your stuff on The Washington Post, too. I've been wanting to have you on the show for so long, so this is another watershed moment for 2015. (laughs) This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. So that's our top five stories, our cheat sheet about the most important things that happened on the Internet in 2015. If you have another nominee for your story of 2015, tell us. We will compile them into an alternative version. We're cool with revisionist history. There's no problem with that. You can email us, note to self at WNYC.org. You can also record a voice memo message. Those always sound really cool. Email that too. Or find us at notetoselfradio.org on Twitter and on Facebook at Note to Self. But... I would just like to add some very important things happened in real life, too. Specifically, thank you, listeners, very much for helping us find a new name, Note to Self, for growing immensely and for sharing all your stories and questions with us. I hope that we have done you proud. We have so many exciting things planned for you in 2016, and we are preparing like little elves. The Note to Self team this week was Jen Poyant, Ariana Tobin, Joe Plord, and Amy Eason. Many thanks to our intern, Miranda Katz, for all her help over the past few months. She is leaving us to go to Gothamnest. Congratulations to her. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening.
I just want to say, like, is it wrong that I love that song? No, like, is it's it... 